indeed our God, our Lord is worthy today of glory, honor, praise, and majesty. He alone is worthy. Would you please take with me your copy of God's Word, the Bible, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 is the chapter, the narrative upon which well, actually, both of the songs we have just sung come from. The glorious song, praise to God, of crowning him as Lord of all. And also the song, acknowledging him as the one who is worthy. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 give us one of those incredible and special glimpses into heaven and the glories of heaven. We see a description of the throne room of heaven. We see a description of God upon his throne, of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, standing before the throne with the Spirit of God. And the Lamb, Jesus Christ, standing there is described here in this passage as the one that had been slain. You see, though Jesus Christ was the eternal God, though Jesus Christ was the Prince of Life, though Jesus Christ was the Creator of all things. He humbled Himself and He became a man. He became like one of us. And He became obedient unto death. The Prince of Life, obedient unto death? Well, if we look here in, Rome, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, we find out that Jesus Christ was that lamb, the one that was slain, and the one who has redeemed us to God by his blood. You see, the prince of life came to earth. The creator of life became a man so that we as sinful man, could be redeemed. We could be bought back. You see, this world, this creation, and we looked back in the song we've just sung and in verse 11 of the previous chapter, he created all things, and for his pleasure they were created. And did you know that when this world was created, there was no plan for death in it? God created the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, to live forever. Death wasn't a part of his plan. But we know that when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God in disbelief, that they brought sin into the world, and sin brought death into the world. Over in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, it tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And as the generations go by and we turn from Genesis chapter 3, that first book of beginnings, when sin came into the world, and we turn a few chapters further, we come to chapter 5 as we have the genealogies and the generations of Adam and the human race continue. And we read over and over and over in that chapter that so-and-so was born, he lived, he had sons and daughters, and 
he died. The phrase echoes throughout the ages. And he died. And he died. And he died. The curse of sin, the curse of death spread across the entire earth. Death. Death, it seems, always wins. Do you know any who have been able to defeat that great enemy? I hope you do, because there's only one. And that is why we celebrate today. Jesus Christ is risen. Say it with me. He is risen indeed. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We can shout it out. It is what is our cry of victory. For when we consider life and we see the inevitable coming of death, we need not be people without hope. For we have hope in that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen from the dead. He died and he, had, he died as one who was innocent, as one who had no sin. But yet he died for me. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. And the scriptures tell us that he died for the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world were placed upon him. And he became sin for us. And he died. But we celebrate today knowing that he did not stay dead. For he was indeed in the earth for three days and three nights. But earlier on that, early on that third morning, Jesus Christ arose. I was talking to someone yesterday and asked the question, why do we celebrate Easter? And do you know the answer I got? Why, it's time for a party. Well, that's only halfway true, isn't it? Yes, it is a celebration. But why do we celebrate? Why do we celebrate? We celebrate because Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Revelation chapter 5 speaks of this lamb. Jesus is referred to as a lamb, which echoes back to actually there in the very beginning that day Adam and Eve had sinned. That day when Adam and Eve sinned, they deserved to die. But they did not die. They indeed in their bodies began to die, and their relationship with God died. It was broken. There was a separation. But on that day, instead of Adam and Eve dying for their sin, a lamb was slain. And they, though they had nothing to clothe themselves in but unrighteousness, they were clothed with the skins of that lamb. That was a picture. That was a symbol. That was of significance of a lamb who would come one day in the future. The lamb being described here in Revelation chapter 5, the eternal son of God would come to earth as a man, and like a lamb, he would give himself a sacrifice a sacrifice for us. Shortly, or right around the time Jesus began his ministry here on earth, he came to a great preacher. 
We know him, know him as John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he looked to all of those who were following him, for John had many disciples. And he took and he directed all of them to give their attention to this one coming. And he said to them, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, pointing his disciples to this, the eternal Son of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This lamb, if we look here in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, as the one who, who died to redeem us, it tells us that in praise to him, they were singing a new song, crying out, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. You see, there was a semi uh, I shouldn't call it a semi. There was an apparent crisis in heaven at that time in this vision of events yet future of a book that had seven seals that no one was worthy to open. But one was worthy, this lamb, Jesus Christ, and they praise him as the one who is worthy to open the book and to break the seals. And they describe this lamb and they say to him, for thou wast slain. He was slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. You see, every single one of us, because of our sin, we are estranged from God. We become his enemies. In a way, we become slaves to sin and to death. But God, in his love, sent Jesus Christ to buy us back, to buy us back from sin and death. And here it's described here that there are those who are redeemed to God by his blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And us, though we are sinners here, described as being made unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is a proclamation of events that are yet future, but it's a picture into what Christ has accomplished and as we continue through this chapter in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, we find this glory given to God, this praise given to God. For as John the apostle is there in this vision seeing heaven, he records for us what he beheld. For he says in verse 11, And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. And the beasts, these are living creatures, angelic beings that are magnificently previously described in the previous chapter. These beasts and the elders and the number of them, the angels that were round about the throne, was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, myriad of angels, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all them that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen! And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. The Lamb, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was slain. But this great worship service and glory is due to the fact that he, though one slain, 
liveth, lives forever and ever and ever. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed which ought to cause us to be as the four and twenty elders and those angels and those magnificent creatures around the throne to worship the one who lives forever and ever. And so I ask you this morning, this most important question, have you been redeemed? Have you been one of those who are redeemed to God by the blood of Jesus Christ? It is very simple, for Jesus has done all of the work, and he stands ready to save you. He stands ready but for you to come to him in faith, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again so that he could redeem you, so that he could save you from your sins, from the punishment for sins, and so that he could give you everlasting life. For the scripture saith that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. To perish speaks of what the Bible calls the second death. We know what death means, whether it is when someone grows old and dies from old age or weakness, or when one is tragically killed, young, or at any age. We know the pains of death, the sorrows of death. But there's also a judgment for sin here described as shall not perish those who are saved and being saved from perishing. It's described as a second death, the lake of fire, a place of everlasting darkness, of weeping, of gnashing of teeth, a place of judgment where all those who die in their sins, having not been forgiven, having not been redeemed, will go for a conscious eternity. The scriptures speak of two resurrections. There's a resurrection unto life, and there is a resurrection unto death. Jesus has done all that needs to be done so that you can be resurrected to life. You receive it only by faith. For he that believeth not, the scriptures tell us, is already condemned. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved from the condemnation. You can be one of these redeemed. There's no limit here of what your kindred or nation or people or tongue is, for he redeems souls from all races, from all peoples, from all nations, from all languages. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this day and join this heavenly chorus. Join those who worship him that liveth forever and ever. I hope that this morning, if you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that today you would respond to his calling, respond in faith, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you this morning, brothers and sisters, beloved of God, have believed. You have been saved. You are redeemed. Let us not just on Resurrection Sunday worship our God, worship him that liveth forever and ever, but each and every day. Let us not lose focus of the fact that he is risen and that he is risen, risen indeed. 
The verse here you see on the screen comes from John chapter 14. Perhaps you know what was going on in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, is the following chapters there, are a record of the events that took place the night before Jesus was crucified. And if you look at this promise here of Jesus, you might imagine that this promise was made after he rose from the dead. He said this, Because I live, ye shall live also. We look back at this and we immediately think of Jesus coming forth from the grave early that first resurrection day. But these words were said before he came forth from the grave. In fact, these words were said less than 24 hours before the horrific sting and bite and curse of sin overtook the prince of life. Imagine with me for a moment that you were there that night when Jesus spoke these words. Would you have understood them? I'm sorry to tell you that the disciples who were there in his very presence, having actually seen him raise people from the dead, did not truly understand the significance of these words. Jesus says, because I live, ye shall live also. What did these words mean to those disciples who within 24 hours were carrying his lifeless, dead body and putting him in a cold, dark tomb? What did this promise mean to them in that moment? He says, because I live. But he was dead. He was dead, dead, dead. No doubt about it, he was dead. Evidence after evidence after evidence in the historical account proved to us that he was dead. Was the hope of this promise erased? Was the hope of this promise gone? For he said, because I live, ye shall live also. So many had a perspective of God is eternal. And it's true, God is eternal. So many had a perspective that God is the creator of life, and it is true. He is the creator of life. And yet, at this moment, he lay dead, dead in a tomb. Is this promise broken? Is this promise broken? No, it's not broken. In fact, the events of those few days and the fact that Jesus died and was buried makes the words of this promise even greater. Because he did die. He died and he was buried. But we know what happened, don't we? Three days later, he rose from the dead. He was the victor over death. He told many people before this time that no man takes my life from me, 
but I lay it down of myself. Jesus said, I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. He says, this power, this authority have I received of my Father. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Life. And when he died on that cross, died even before they drove the spear into his side, it was not the crucifixion that killed him. For it was he as he hung there who cried, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. It is in that moment that he gave up his life. No man took it from him. And three days later, it was he, and get this, though dead, who took back his life because he is the prince of life, because he is demonstrating to everyone in the world this promise. I live, he says, because I live, ye shall live also. This promise is made right in the midst of Jesus making another promise to send a comforter, one whom he describes as the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God who would come and live in those who believe in him. He speaks and tells them that on that day when you receive the Holy Spirit, he says to them, on that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me as the Holy Spirit lives in us. You see, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we believe that we are sinners and that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that in him only by our faith can we have life, that's why we shall live also. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a bodily resurrection. It wasn't some spiritual event, though it carries spiritual significance. He physically, bodily rose from the dead. And we too have that same hope. In fact, it's spoken of throughout Scripture as a redemption of the body. And we're told that the Holy Spirit of God, when he moves in and lives within us, in the midst of this place in which we live where death reigns, the Holy Spirit is the one who is the seal and the guarantor that our bodies will be redeemed. Sometimes when we're living life, we feel the aches and pains of death, don't we? We experience the sorrow of death and the passing of loved ones. And sometimes we're tempted to forget this promise. The promise of Jesus, because I live, ye shall live also. And whether we are facing trials or troubles, problems or anything, it's all throughout us expected. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us so much about it. Actually, I'm looking for 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians tells us about this trouble, these problems that we have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we, we are told of the Spirit of God that we have, and it is, it is as a treasure in earthen vessels. Our bodies are made but of earth, of earthen vessels of dust. But we have this treasure, the Spirit of God, in this earthen vessel, and it is so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. 
so that when we go through life and we are confronted by death and sorrow and pain and suffering and horrors beyond imagine. 1 Corinthians 4, 8 says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not dismayed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus went through death. He put himself under the law and the condemnation of the law, and he suffered. He suffered as generally a part of the human race throughout his life, and then he suffered in death for not his sin, but our sin. And so when we suffer, when we see and experience death in all of its different varying degrees, you might say the varying degrees of, yeah, yes, there's varying degrees of death. For dying, we shall die. We're dying, all of us. And when we consider this, we can look back to the fact that our great high priest, the prince of life, endured this. But also as we consider this, we also need to recognize that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our bodies. You see, this promise carries about two applications to the Christian, to the believer, to the one who has been redeemed. First of all, the guarantee that when this body dies, that one day this body will be resurrected. That's the first part of this promise. Because I live, ye shall live also, Jesus says. Those who believe in me will live also forever, just as Jesus liveth forever and ever. But there's a second significance to this that is in the now, the present time, the time when we are dying And as we are dying, the life also of Jesus might be manifested in our body. Every day we can live according to this promise. But it's not us doing the living. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself abiding in us that brings us life. And so every day we can continue to walk in newness of life. Walk in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, that he is alive and that he lives inside of me. And though this body is dying and will die if the Lord tarries, it will be resurrected. And every moment of every day, I can live in joy and confidence and hope and peace with the earnest, the guarantee, the seal of the Holy Spirit that I have life, life everlasting. Everlasting life doesn't begin when we die. Everlasting life begins the moment that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that when we do die, it is simply but as the Christian falling asleep to wake up in glory in the presence of our God. Jesus said, because I live, ye shall live also. Come with me back to those disciples that night when this promise was made. That following night, you imagine they had trouble with this promise? I think they forgot about it. I think they forgot about it. There's evidence throughout the historical narratives of the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
that they forgot about it. It seemed almost as if the resurrection was a surprise to them. You know, as a little kid, I used to judge those disciples pretty hard for that. Like, what, what's wrong with all you disciples? Jesus said over and over that he was going to rise from the dead. In fact, he even told them, I'm going to tell you now so that when it happens, you'll know that it happened. They forgot. You know, as I've grown older and hopefully more mature, but yet I still find myself in times of unbelief. Not living according to this reality. Yes, I'm living. My heart's still beating. But I live according to my own flesh. I live my way. I live in defeat. I live in the cemetery. When Jesus has called me to believe his promise to live in heavenly places with him. And when I am living in heavenly places by faith with him, there is guaranteed victory. There is guaranteed hope. The discouragements of life, the pains of life, the threats of life, they dim. They dim in the light of his glory and grace. Because in the midst of all of my sufferings, he is all sufficient. And though my body may be dying, the life also of Jesus can, if I appropriate it through faith, be manifest in this body. And I can live in hope, believing this promise, not just for, some, not just for the future day, when the redemption of the body, the resurrection of this body will take place. But right now, also right now, in the midst of all that it faces, I live, I live by the power of Jesus Christ. We all can live by the power, by the life of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is Galatians chapter 2, where it speaks and says, Paul says, and I echo it with him, I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He is faithful. And when he made this promise, Though 24 hours later he was dead in a cold, dark tomb, he was still keeping this promise. And in the moments when I am in the midst of sorrow and pain in the death of a loved one who knew Jesus especially, or in death in general, or in the aches and pains of this body dying, I can remember and I can hope in this promise that Jesus made, because I live, ye shall live also. This morning, do you live? What I mean by that is, do you have everlasting life? 
the scriptures say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt have life. Do you have this life? Jesus has done everything required, everything required for you to have life, everlasting life. It but simply requires you to respond in belief, receiving him, receiving everlasting life. Today, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You'll have everlasting life. And then every day, brothers and sisters, we can live. We can live. Not in this life in the flesh, but live with the eternal life of the prince of life abiding in us. And we need not be discouraged, but that ought to motivate us every day to celebrate Resurrection Day as we worship the Lamb that was slain, the Lamb that liveth forever and ever. Great God, Lord Jesus, we bow before you and worship you. You alone are worthy of worship. You are good and you are great. You are the lamb that was slain and yet liveth. You have done all required for our salvation, and we give praise, glory, and honor to you and you alone for it. Gracious God, there are some here in this room who have not received you and have not been saved. May your spirit move in their hearts and minds that today they might be drawn to you and might humble themselves before your mighty hand and trust in you, believe in you, and receive life everlasting. Lord Jesus, we bow to you in praise and worship. We exalt you as the great and holy one. We give thanks to you that you are the one who lives. And because you live, we live also. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that no matter what we face, our eyes may be fixed upon you as we might abide in you and you abide in us and that you might bring forth much fruit to the glory of God the Father in our lives. And when we are tempted to be discouraged or downhearted, we might look again to this promise that you live and find hope. And may you be glorified in all things, and we give to you the glory, praise, and honor. Amen.